Welcome to the Global Energy and Environmental Law Podcast. Today is March 4th, 2016. To avoid the worst effects of climate change, it's become clear that fossil fuels must be left in the ground. Nuclear power has resurfaced on the scene as a potentially viable energy source after the phase-out of fossil fuels. In this three-part series, you'll be able to hear from experts in the field about both the pros and cons of nuclear energy and related future energy issues. This is part two of the series. In this part, I interviewed Dr. Jonathan Cobb. Dr. Cobb is a senior communication manager at the World Nuclear Association based in London, England. Dr. Cobb began his career working in R&D for British nuclear fuels before focusing on climate change, sustainable development and energy policy. He joined the World Nuclear Association in 2005 as their advisor on climate change. He has represented the World Nuclear Association at the UNFCCC climate change meeting since 1999 and most recently attended COP21 in Paris in 2015. So Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. It's become quite clear recently that the world needs to move away from fossil fuels for energy production. Nuclear has reappeared on the stage as a possibility. Um, you attended COP21 in Paris in 2015. Can you talk a bit about the discussions pertaining to nuclear energy in that forum? Well, I think one of the, the interesting things about COP21 and possibly one of the misconceptions is that in the negotiations themselves, there is very little said about what are the solutions to climate change. The negotiations tend to focus on what needs to be done in terms of emission reductions. So the Paris Declaration, which was agreed by all the governments at that meeting, talks about the need to keep the increase in temperature rise uh, from the pre-industrial level to below 2 degrees Celsius, and if possible, limit it to only 1.5 degrees Celsius. So that's in there. There are proposals for technology mechanisms, financing mechanisms, uh, and other issues of that general type. But what there isn't is specific descriptions of what needs to be done in terms of what energy mixes we need, what do we need to do in agriculture, what do we need to do in transport. So overall, very little spoken about nuclear, but also very little spoken about any technology solution at all. So that is right, but nations at the national levels are going to now decide on what to do to reach those goals. So I presume you're seeing it as a possibility that nuclear power should be uh, increased in the energy mixes that you just talked about? That's right. Uh, specifically, first of all, in electricity generation, which you know, we do need to bear in mind is only a part of the source of greenhouse gas emissions around the world. Right. But it is, a, it is an important part, and also it's one of the sectors where, with nuclear and with renewables, we have demonstrated in a number of countries the possibility to really cut down on greenhouse gas emissions and have 80 or 90 percent of generation coming from true low carbon sources. So it's, it's a good sector to start attention on. And so there are studies done which are saying we need to get a reduction to maybe have only 20 percent of generation coming from fossil fuels by 2050. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of effort needed in terms of building up nuclear, building up wind, solar, hydro, all those different forms of low carbon generation. Mm -hmm. Let me uh, push back a little bit on that issue, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Countries such as Germany, Switzerland and Belgium have though decided to phase out nuclear power and not to step it up to meet the goals. 
Um, French programs also are known to run years behind schedule and billions of dollars over budget. Um, so why do you think that some parties in countries are so stubbornly almost insisting on nuclear energy, given all these different uh, problems? Why not just look solar too, for instance, solar or wind, as you just mentioned? I think one of the reasons for to take the last part of the question is, uh, if you look at solar, it's it's an obvious statement, but obviously the um, generation of solar happens during the day. It doesn't happen at night. And as yet, we don't have the kind of energy storage solutions available where you could have a, a grid that was powered from that. Same with wind. Wind is intermittent, uh, and therefore it can make a very good contribution. But in terms of having the ability that we need in modern lives of being able to turn on the light switch and get light when you want, we need to have other sources of generation so we can have a secure supply. And that's where nuclear can work well with these other sources, providing the baseload generation, the constant generation that nuclear uh, can supply, and, and doing that as part of a, a diverse low-carbon mix. Mm -hmm. In terms of decisions of Germany, Switzerland, and Belgium, uh, these are countries where they've had a, a policy of not deciding to go for new-build nuclear for some time. This isn't something that's happened in, in recent years. So I think in Switzerland and Belgium, the decisions came around in perhaps 2003, and in fact, what has happened in those countries is they've not followed the timetable for closing down the reactors that the initial decision uh, put in place. In those countries where there have been these decisions to phase out, it tends not to go at a particularly fast speed. Um, and also, those are three or four countries out of the more than 30 countries that are operating nuclear power plants today. Nuclear power operates in countries with more than half the world's population. So those countries are the exception to the rule, rather than it being uh, a few other countries staying with nuclear energy. Interesting. Um, you mentioned the intermittency of solar and wind power, um, and also all these other problems that at least then um, a few of these countries are experiencing. Do you think, though, that instead of uh, seeing from a national point of view, that instead of just continuing to focus on, for instance, nuclear power, that instead they should uh, look into developing the batteries and so forth that could perhaps store some of the solar energy uh, overnight that you mentioned? In other words, isn't that the long-term shift that we really truly do need instead of just sort of you know, pushing that inevitable development off even further into the future? I think because the need for energy is so great, I mean, so many billions of people in the world are still not having access to electricity at all, and mm -hmm. that's a major detriment to their life lifestyles. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Because there is such a need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, then it at this case, we should be supporting all these options. Mm -hmm. It isn't a case of saying we must definitely go for solar only and we'll develop batteries as well. We we'll, must only go for wind or, or whatever choices people may have, or even those who might argue we should certainly go for nuclear alone. I think very few uh, people I know when talking about the issue would actually say that that is the right way to go because of the challenge, because there is such a reliance on fossil fuels now right. that for, for decades to come, the best strategy is going to be to use all the options that are available to make this transition. And that's the um, all-of-the-above strategy that President Obama has also uh, touted recently. 
talk a little bit, if you will, about the high risk and high cost of building and operating nuclear power plants, because I think people are probably very worried about disposing of the waste. Um, talk about that aspect of it, if you will. Sure. Um, in terms of high risk, I, 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 can I just ask you, do you, I mean talking there of um, financial risk or other risks? Or? Sorry, I was uh, t thinking that most listeners are probably interested in hearing about the physical risks as in the Chernobyl accident, things like that. Yes. I mean, when it comes to nuclear energy, there is this perspective of risk. But mm. if you look at the actual figures and the, the track record, even including Chernobyl, including Fukushima, then the risks of nuclear energy actually come in at significantly lower than many other generation sources. Definitely coal, definitely gas, certainly lower than hydro, uh, where hydro dam collapses have in, in one instant caused tens of thousands of deaths in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And then you compare that to Chernobyl, which mm -hmm. I should say straight up is a ragged act of design that you know, we would not support now. Uh, mm -hmm. It was something certainly that would not be operated in uh, other countries around the world. It was a product of that era of that particular mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. But even including that, when you look at it comparatively with the other options, nuclear actually shows itself to be very safe, very low risk. And in terms of managing wastes, we have technical solutions to managing and disposing wastes. So the proposal is for deep repositories. Mm -hmm. uh, some countries are moving very well in developing plans on that. Sweden, Finland are two examples. Mm -hmm. But managing waste is something we can do now. And that, again, is something where nuclear does that. It, uh, it produces relatively small volumes of waste. It's the spent fuel that comes out of the reactors. Mm -hmm. And you compare that to today's other options the fossil fuels, where basically the world's atmosphere is taken to be a waste dump. Mm -hmm. That is true. That's, you know, the difficulty in this whole context, isn't it? And nonetheless, the public opinion of the use of nuclear power isn't all that high, uh, high in, for instance, the EU. In democratic nations, don't you think that should influence decision makers? And shouldn't the industry respect the voices that are against this, even if these are just sort of irrational uh, fears that people have of nuclear waste inherently? Well, that's, that's interesting. If we, if we think back to um, the answer I gave and that the policies of Belgium and Switzerland, uh, a survey done in 2011, so just after the Fukushima accident, showed that 58% uh, of Belgians wanted to keep nuclear power. Uh, in Switzerland, in a survey in uh, 2013, uh, there was 38% uh, for continuing to use nuclear power and replacing the new reactors, 30% for continuing to use existing reactors, and only 21% wanting to phase out. So if we applied this principle of shouldn't the politicians be listening to the public, then the phase-out policies in those two countries, two of the, the three that were we picked out, are actually against that political decision. Hmm. So... But, but in general, what we've seen uh, in the EU, where we have a mix of maybe half the countries are using nuclear energy and half aren't, it's the countries that use nuclear energy uh, that have a more favourable public opinion towards it. So, for example, here in the UK, uh, we are looking to develop a, a new generation of reactors and the percentage supporting new build in the UK is 41% and the percentage opposing is, is 20%. 
But then what if you poll the neighbors? What do they say about it? Because as we know, nuclear waste or nuclear radiation can obviously uh, travel across national borders. And that might be a particular problem in the EU where countries are so closely uh, located to each other. I think that's uh, something, first of all, if you look at the radiation in terms of day-to-day operations, then the radiation that we experience from nuclear power from the nuclear industry is a very tiny fraction of of the radiation dose overall that we get, which comes primarily from background radiation, natural radiation, but also an increasing amount coming from medical uses of radiation for diagnostic and for treatment. So overall, the dose that comes from nuclear energy is is, um, very low. That is true. Sorry, I was talking still to the risk of uh, any accidents happening. That it might be, for instance, that one country in the EU says we want to go ahead with nuclear power, but what do the neighbors say in case there is an accident? Then they have to be at the brunt of decisions made in other countries. That's true. And I think, therefore, in the EU, what we do have often is is a a discussion amongst the EU partners on many aspects of uh, energy policy, which includes nuclear policy. So while it remains something ultimately that's a a sovereign choice, Mm -hmm. uh, it is something that is uh, discussed at a broader level. And again, it's, it's true about nuclear energy, but it's also true about many of the other activities we have in our world. So nuclear isn't um, a particular issue in those terms. It's, uh, you know, you could argue that, for example, uh, Germany, I think Michael Schneider in a previous podcast referred to it as a coal nation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how should France react to Germany's continuing use of coal, mm-hmm. which is a, produces a pollution that goes across boundaries? That is true, yeah. That's an international principle of law that you should destroy uh, the other nations' uh, territories with your polluting actions. So so you're right about that. That is the difficulty of all this, isn't it? But going back to what if there is a, an accident? So the cost of the Chernobyl accident, for instance, has been estimated at no less than 300 billion US dollars. So can you talk a little bit about who would be liable for such costs at the national and international levels, just in case things go wrong? Well, there is... Uh, a specific arrangement for nuclear energy, for liability for nuclear damage. Operators of of nuclear plants are liable for damage caused by them, regardless of fault. And so they do take out insurance through third-party liability and uh, are required to do so. Um, There are these cross-boundary effects, and that is dealt with with international nuclear uh, liability regimes, uh, which complement this national level. Does it reach the full risk? So would these insurance companies really cover up to the total uh, risk amount in dollars? Uh, There are caps on the amount that is uh, insured by nuclear energy. These vary from country to country, so the amount varies uh, depending on which jurisdiction you're in. And then at the end, uh, should anything happen in excess of that, then it is the government that acts as the insurer of last resort. Again, so this isn't the, this mm-hmm. isn't something that is again specific to the nuclear industry in terms of you know, when uh, an accident happens. Uh, was there full insurance carried out uh, that could cover every possible cost? Right, but isn't it true though that, uh, as I'm understanding it, that nuclear accidents could be so much more costly than, for instance, uh, coal or uh, oil-related accidents? Um, I think one immediate response to that is that the the effects of not the accidents from coal and oil, uh, but the impacts from their day-to-day operations yeah, have a right. far greater cost than the potential impact that would come from nuclear energy. But 
in response to that, we have, we had the Chernobyl accident, and that had a big uh, effect in the way that the nuclear industry uh, looked at uh, its safety procedures, looked at how it operated, and I think particularly opened um, to more scrutiny uh, those reactors in those Eastern European and, at the time, Soviet uh, operations. Mm -hmm. But also the same applies to Fukushima. So there has mm -hmm. been a, a major review of the safety procedures um, uh, the ability to have backup power, the ability to have resistant to potential flooding, which mm -hmm. were the, the, yeah. the things that, particularly the flooding that caused the accident at Fukushima. Right. So while addressing the issue of you know, taking appropriate uh, insurance out uh, to deal with sh the case of if there is an accident, obviously the focus should be on trying to prevent the accident sure. and if there is an accident to try to minimize the the impacts uh, of that accident particularly any impacts outside of the the plant site boundary right obviously so um, did western operators of nuclear power plants learn from uh, those two um, accidents because i noticed that there's apparently been some equipment failures i believe in france where um, the industry ran into some credibility problems because there were some serious flaws with uh, some uh, iron vessels or something of that nature. So can you speak to that a little bit? Are they improving the security measures or or what's going on in that respect? I think this may ref, uh, refer to uh, a couple of the components in the EPRs that are currently under construction in France, uh, in Finland and also in China. And so during tests on those plants, it was found that the, the composition of the metal, according to this testing results, suggested uh, a different composition with uh, some additional iron. Now, that is actually still under review. Um, there are proposals in place to carry out tests on the, the materials of that, uh, those components to see whether they uh, are still, in fact, going to be suitable, uh, whether they can still meet the requirements that there are. So mm -hmm. that, is, that is one uh, example with um, the, those particular two reactors. In general, France has got a very good track record mm -hmm. on um, construction. They basically switch from being a fossil-dominated generation mix to one with nuclear supplying low-carbon electricity in less than 20 years. Mm -hmm. And other countries, I think, are interested in doing the same. For instance, South Korea, China and Russia appear very willing to increase their focus on nuclear power, which also speaks to what you mentioned before about there being about, I think you said, about 30 uh, nations around the world that use uh, nuclear power currently. China, for example, um, is said to have currently implemented the largest domestic nuclear power construction program in the world and also wants to go, uh, go beyond that and invest in Ariva, the financially troubled French nuclear reactor manufacturer. And for instance, South Korea won a $20 billion bid to build nuclear reactors in Abu Dhabi some years ago. But these countries don't have nearly as much experience in the industry as France does, for instance. Does this trouble you seen from a nuclear safety point of view, both as regards potential misuses by the energy by terrorists, but also from an environmental point of view? Because we know some of those countries really need more energy badly. Are you afraid they're going to rush it too much and there being disasters or the material getting into the wrong hands? Well, in fact, I mean, with China and South Korea, um, I wouldn't say they're inexperienced. In fact, they're amongst the world's leaders. Uh, if you look at China, their first reactor, Chinchan-1, started operations uh, 25 years ago. And South Korea's first reactor started operations 
populations in 1977. So in fact, these countries have a, an enormous amount of experience in building and operating nuclear plant. Uh, they are also countries that have got into a lot of international cooperation. Uh, they abide by the international um, regimes that are in place, the non-proliferation treaties, um, and the collaboration they have with international companies is such that there's learning across uh, both perhaps originally uh, gaining the learning from uh, those countries that had started reactors earlier, mm -hmm. but now in very much the case, their experience in building reactors uh, their experience in operating them uh, is coming in the other direction and there's there's a lot for us to learn there's a lot for those countries in the west that are considering starting new build to learn how to do that based on experience in those countries in china and south korea oh, and in russia too right that's interesting i think people may have thought that france was sort of the leader in this respect but um, maybe that situation has been changing recently what about though, the threat uh, by terrorists do you see that as being any real threat and i'm not talking just in relation to certain nations but just broadly is that part of the fears today with isis and isil and so forth obviously um making sure that uh, nuclear facilities are, are protected against terrorism is very important and uh, especially since 2001 and the attacks on the World Trade Center, there's been increasing focus on that. Uh, it's one of the things that you can't really go on and describe some of the measures taken because not describing them is one of the ways in which you can ensure greater security. Uh, but it is something that's taken very seriously by uh, the nuclear industry and with uh, modern reactor designs actually resistance to any potential threat from those uh, uh, terrorist activities is one of the things that's built into the design by their nature. Because they're built um, with a lot of safety in mind, they are particularly robust structures uh, and therefore they are actually uh, would be quite resistant to, to some terrorist activity. Is it even something that, uh, as far as we know, that there's uh, intelligence reports out there saying it is a real threat? Or is that, again, perhaps uh, maybe more of people's general fears? Have there been specific threats presented against uh, sort of uh, nuclear power plants at a realistic level? I'm not aware of any. Okay. Uh, now, it may be that I'm not in the circles you know, that necessarily deal with this on a, on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis, but it, it's not something uh, that I, I've uh, been aware of. Not a major threat as it's perceived. Frankly. What about um, how you think the industry see possible improvements in relation to the broader social health and economic problems associated with uh, mining? We talked about the waste disposal, but what about at the beginning, even get, getting the raw materials has uh, presented some problems? Yes, I mean, mining in general as a sector is, is one that's been trying to address uh, the issues of improving uh, the care of workers, the care of the environment. Uh, and that's something that, looking at uranium mining, that the World Nuclear Association, along with its member companies, has been uh, working on. And so uh, a number of years ago, we formed a uranium stewardship group that has developed a, a series of principles and, and guidelines to guide the, the work of our members to uh, improve uh, the, the activities and, and the way in which these activities are car carried out uh, around the well amongst our, our member companies. And is it uh, seeing some effective on-the-ground implementation also? Is it mainly guidelines that are not actually implemented on the ground? I, I think there has been uh, 
good behaviour, and some of that has arisen out of the, uh, the collective agreement of the uh, companies involved uh, that they wanted to abide by these guidelines. And another thing is that um, taking good care, this kind of stewardship, this kind of um, ensuring that uh, the, the activities, the mining that's carried out is done in a more responsible way, is, is just basically good business now as well as being the right thing to do. So it is in their interest to abide by these guidelines. Interesting, yeah, it certainly is. So in short, here at the end, you do see nuclear power as being a potential viable, not a potential, but an actual viable solution to the climate change problem that we're facing currently. Yes, I mean, it's something that has actually demonstrated itself as contributing to that for over 50 years now. So with the generation we have in the current mix, we're saving around 2 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions each year is compared to if they'd been built, uh, produced by fossil fuel alternatives. So it's something where had we not used nuclear up to now, we would be in a much worse state in terms of trying to combat climate change. And going forward, when we do want to see reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, you know, using low carbon energy, low carbon electricity of all types, then I think it's got a very important role uh, to play in making sure that we've got uh, secure and adequate supplies of electricity going ahead in the future. It certainly will be interesting to follow that development for sure. Um, Dr. Jonathan Cobb, thank you so very much. Thank you very much. Jonathan Cobb is a senior communication manager at the World Nuclear Association. My name is Mayanna Dellinger. I'm an associate professor of law with the University of South Dakota School of Law. I research and write extensively on international energy and environmental issues. Thanks for listening.